Welcome to episode 616 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Rightio, team, welcome along to episode 616 of I Am Talk with Coach John Houston and Bevan James Oz. How you going, mate? Pretty good, Bevan. Pretty good. Thomas, go to sleep. What, what, what is he listening to our podcast? Well, he, go, he goes to bed every night. Listens to me? Well, no, he, he, he used to listen to Harry Potter and Belinda tried to get him to listen to something different. And so he, she said, why don't you listen to Dad? Why can't I listen to Dad's podcast? And I said, no. And so he started listening to a couple of them. Oh, now you're going to try to Thomas, be a good go boy. to sleep. Now you're going to try to be a good boy, aren't no. you? Hey, none of, those, none of that, that, that abusive language you normally have. <laughs> yeah, you know, all, go, my dad's not who I thought he was. I to be all friendly towards you. Oh, what's all that about? I'm going to be shocked and dismayed. <laughs> I'm talking is proudly brought to you by... Extreme Endurance. i tell you what, in about three or four years from now, there's no way in the world he's going to want us to listen to you at <laughs> no. night. Uh, your lactic buffer. And our patrons. Let's name a few, Jumbo. Peter, the Bionic Man Mills. We've got James, the Trawler Slade. And Mark, Sledgehammer Stetler. Sledgehammer. Boom, boom. In this week's show, we've got some news. We've got a discussion of the week. Uh, got an in-depth coach's corner. We have. I'm, I'm, saving the, I'm, I'm helping to solve our drafting problem. People, people were unhappy with your rant last week. Yeah, I didn't go on enough. And then, and then I didn't give the ITU people enough attention because we've been going on about bloody Texas for so long. What was the attention you need to give them? For ITU? Oh, we'll go into that. Okay, we're going to give it this week. Yeah. And uh, people love your ranting, I tell you. <laughs> they want these to, Thomas, don't listen. To, uh, actually, Thomas, you'll get ready for rent for the next few years. You're going to hear it all the time. It's <laughs> enough at home every day. <laughs> so, you know, he's like, I'm sick of the rants. I don't want to hear it on the show. Uh, we're going to interview with Sarah Gross uh, talking about a women's triathlon summit that's coming up at the end of the year. And then we've got Winger of the Week. Okay, and questions and answer. The guys, we had Ironman Australia happen over the weekend. Marino Van Helnecker showed that a 41-year-old man can still smack it out of the park. You were doubting him, Bevan. You had doubts. I did have doubts, I said, but I'll tell I you what, no. he shows his pedigree, doesn't he? It just shows he's definitely one of those ones who, you know, we'll talk about in the future about, you know, one of the best guys not to win Kona. And he just shows a pedigree here, doesn't he? And he received a new course record, and he swam a 45-57. So that's a solid swimmer. You know, this guy was a former Jew athlete. Uh, oh, really? Was yeah, he? Yeah, back in the day, he came out here, and uh, he was a Jew athlete. So he wasn't actually a swimmer to start with. He was no. a bit like me, like, yeah. basically. Yeah. He was, wow. a very, he was a Belgian. He was a very good Jew athlete. Came out to Christchurch for a season, did Jew athlon, and... I beat him in the Timaru Triathlon, uh, primarily because I put about five minutes into him in 1,500 and metres. And he's now swimming 45 minutes. And he's swimming 45. Now, look, the swim looks pretty short there. Uh, no, but no, 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 so I'm not, I'm not going to say it short because I've got some got a new segment uh, yep, coming I in. Know, I'm so the, the swim was fast. He swam 45-57. But that's beating guys like Luke McKenzie, who used to be a very, very good swimmer. It's coming out with guys like um, Mark Bostead and, yeah, very, very strong swim. David Dallow, former ITU guys, he then rode a 4.30. He was actually second off the bike. Mark Bosted, who's a Kiwi, young Kiwi fella, was not, probably not that young anymore. He had a small lead over Marino going into the run. Marino chewed that up reasonably early on. Uh, he ran a 2.54 for a total time of 8.14.37. 
Luke McKenzie was in second place, ran a little bit quicker, he ran a 253, uh, he did actually get closer than, than the, the finish time, ended up being uh, just over sort of three and a half minutes, uh, at one stage it was down to about two minutes and Luke was looking quite good, uh, but Marino sort of held strong and Luke faded a bit and Mark, Mark Bostead managed to hang on for third place uh, after you know, a stellar swim bike, uh, ran a 307 but still finished in in third place, Mitch Robbins, who you heard on the show last week, he was on Ironman debut. He went 8:42, so sort of a fairly steady eddy day. He swam 46, rode 4:54, and ran 2:57. Problem with finishing seventh place, he gets 405 Kona points, which is one problem because that's not a lot. The other problem is seventh place is first loser because you don't get any prize money. So Dougal Allen finished in sixth and got a thousand dollars. US. Mm. Just uh, Van Hanoke, one of the quotes when I read the article about it is I left it all out there and I'm an emotional wreck. It's indescribable. Someone has to protect me from myself. This is tough for an old man. He, he is one of those guys. He just goes to the hurt box, doesn't he? He does. And he collapses over the finish line and gets taken away. So yeah. he's often not, yeah. not post-race interviews. It's, you've got to respect someone who has the ability to be able to do that. Mm. You know, like it's interesting. Often I look at my classes at the gym and like I teach these spin classes and I'm always interested in the different types of exercises and one thing that I find really frustrating as a fitness professional is that person who's never willing to kind of take a risk mm. um, and then you see people who just love beating themselves up and, and they're the easy people to train but as an athlete if we look at the athletic experience Van Haunaka jeez that guy there's it, just a history of him knowing how to push himself to the edge now sometimes he didn't get it right quite often Mark he's very and I'll go into this in a moment he's very much all or nothing. Yeah, very much hit or miss, isn't it? Yeah, so uh, other ones, David Dallow, he uh, DNF'd, so he's a past champion. Uh, on the girls', girls side of things, Laura Siddell... Uh, Dominated the do- dojo. It was an official dojo domination. And uh, it was a real shame because um, she was going... It was always going to be a sort of two-horse race between her and Annabelle Luxford. And Annabelle Luxford has beating, been beating Laura Siddell up all summer long over half-distance races. Uh, she's either beaten her two, maybe three times. Didn't so, Laura win a Wanaka? Uh, no, no. Oh, no, okay. Was Annabelle was it? Okay, so sorry. and that, and sometimes they were quite close finishes, and it usually came down to Annabelle Luxford just having a bit of a, a turn of speed on the run. So this was Laura's chance to really uh, get one back on her, and she was actually given the number one bib, which I'm not sure if it's a first, uh, but it seemed like it was a, a pretty significant. It doesn't happen no, she very won often. Last year. Yes, but she was given number one. Oh, race isn't over bib. the man? Okay. Um, yep. Because normally, you know, the top guy will get the number one, and the, the woman will maybe start at thirty or fifty or whatever, and they'll and then they'll seed them accordingly. But she was given the number one bib, so good on you, Iron Man Australia. Uh, but Annabelle Luxford had a massive lead on her out of the swim, seven minutes. But Laura was pegging that back, and she did pass her at one stage on the live updates because I, I just sort of came in and out. I knew she was gaining, and then I came back on and it said Laura Siddell's thirty-two minutes behind. And I was like, "Wowzers, something bad's happened here." But I think it actually meant thirty-two seconds. Okay. And so she did actually um, pass Annabelle Luxford, but then Annabelle Luxford pulled out with um, with some Asthma. problems. So that was a real shame because I'm sure Laura Siddell would have uh, really liked to have got one back over her. But she won the race nonetheless. First woman to ever go under five hours. At Ironman Port Macquarie, as far as I could see, course record. She did the bike course record, mm. yep. and went. Uh, so she swam fifty five forty eight, rode four fifty six, and then ran a three ten for a nine oh five fifty eight. Uh, and so she, she is a token Kiwi. Uh, we'll, we'll take that. Uh, we had also a, Laura. Thank you for my t shirt. Yes, we got these fantastic t shirts. Yeah, really nice. Um, so look, she is a crowd favourite everywhere she goes, and she's got loads of fans down here in Christchurch. She just. 
Lovely person, eh? Yeah, she just goes like she Heart came along to, to my Sea to Sky challenge and she was handing out medals, she was helping with the kids' race and just uh, gets involved. Not, she doesn't have an ulterior motive, you know, it, it is good for your brand when you go out and do things like that. Um, but yeah, she's just got fans everywhere she goes. So good on you, Laura. Yeah, she's a lovely person. Second place, uh, Melanie Burke. So the Kiwis uh, got second as well. Uh, she was. 24 minutes behind and Kelsey Wilthrow was in third place. Just back onto Marino and I was thinking to myself this morning, he's won a lot of races around the world and John Leviston from Try247 um, beat me to the, well gave me, gave me some content here but also w- was thinking along the same channels. He's, uh, he's basically done a grand slam of triathlon, of Ironman wins all around the world. He's won on every single continent wow. around the world. He's won in the States, in Florida. He's won Austria, in Africa. He's won uh, uh, South Africa, in Asia. He's won Malaysia. Um, in Europe, he's won Frank- Frankfurt and Austria. North America, he's won Canada. South America, he's won Brazil. Uh, in America, he's won Mont-Tremblant. And he did win Ironman New Zealand, but it was one of those years where I think the race got cut in half or shortened or something, so it didn't really count. Uh, and then this year, he's won in Australia to take his Oceania one. Hasn't won in Antarctica yet, so <laughs> if he wants to Shut it up. Have <laughs> that marathon. Imagine trying to do an Ironman in Antarctica. It'd be a death wish, wouldn't it? Oh, absolutely. You couldn't do the swim? No. Unless you did it in like one of the, they must have some kind of suit that goes underwater there, but you'd be pretty pretty rough. You swim. Imagine swimming in like a twenty mil wetsuit with a full face mask <laughs> for three point eight. And then the bike, you'd have to do it on some kind of thick wheel things that yeah. would take you about three days. Yeah, they do do the marathon. They have the Antarctic marathon. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, no, so I, I wouldn't say it's impossible, but I would say it's. So the, the swimming would be highly dubious. <laughs> highly you might dubious. end up frozen if I you 50 years from now. But as Bevan said, in terms of Marino's record, it is very much hit or miss. And he tends to do three Ironmans a year. Uh, previously, that involved the Ironman World Champs. Uh, but for example, uh, last year he did Taiwan, got second, Mont-Tremblant, he won, and Ironman New Zealand DNF'd. Uh, the previous year he only did two and had uh, two wins. Uh, the year before that he'd done, when we saw him in the Ironman World Champs in 2015, he had a DNF, did Austria and uh, Brazil. So there's just it's just scattered with ones, but then in, in between the ones is... Uh, there's a couple of placings, but then there's a you know 34th, 34th at the Worlds, a 19th at Frankfurt, uh, and a few and a, and a number of zeros. So awesome, awesome athletes. are well done to him. Yeah, he really is, and it's good to see even in, in the early 40s, he still just knows how to put it together. Pretty great stuff. Uh, just one other thing, John's started a new feature. A new feature. <laughs> well, we're going we're going to say it. Course Check Monday. Course Check Course Check Monday. Course Check Monday. So what I'm going to try to do, because of after this Texas debacle, is I want to know uh, how accurate courses are. Um, and you guys, you know, I don't coach people at races every single uh, Ironman around the world. So, you know, we're going we're gonna to check course accuracy. And so I put a post on Facebook, and it seems like one thing the Aussies can do is they're relatively close, close to their counting. Um Still not an official record because I didn't see anybody post on there uh, 180 kilometres. So we're going to, yeah, it was still a 
potentially a little bit short. Simon Lund, he swam 4,154 metres. Mind you, it's probably a surprise I didn't end up in New Zealand the way I swam at the start. Oh, really? and, and most of the comments on there got 179 point something on okay. the bike. We'll, we'll say that's fine. We'll say that's okay. I think within 1K is, is all right. Yep. And, and in terms of the run, everybody got... 40 pretty much got 41.9 to 42 point something okay so, so that's so it's accurate within the so this is so what are we calling it the monday the monday pass mark okay the monday pass mark that's the term okay so we, it gets the monday pass mark it certainly does okay this race whereas texas would not have got the monday pass mark yeah they wouldn't have been that far off though yeah i mean they, they wouldn't have so what's what's our threshold going to be it's oh, so three off the three off the bike's not close i was 3k wasn't i was thinking it was two yeah it was three that's i'm going to give it uh 1k, 1K for K the, on bike. the bike 1k plus or minus on the bike probably and 500 on the run 500 on the run especially given that swimming's you know, hard because it's well no under so what would you say under wise 200 meters under for the swim for the for the monday pass mark uh yeah i'd say 200 under, okay under. so 200 1k 500 Yes. It's a sprint triathlon. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Uh, we had some other races happening over the weekend, and, and probably one of the big stories from the weekend is Torenzo's domination continues. So he did the 70.3 in Australia over the weekend. And swim got cancelled again. Bloody hell, you Australians. You're struggling with swims. It's a, it's a Callum Millwood cupcakes uh, curse because uh, Western Australia had the, some cancelled at Ironman time because of the sharks. And then the weather this time was uh, was thwarting their progress yet again. It was uh, it looked terrible. Weather. It wouldn't have made a difference, would have it, to the results? The swim trends would have been... Probably not, no. no. So he's not taking anything away uh, Age group from. results. But, yeah, but, totally. But I mean, just for the pros. So Torenzo Renzo ends up winning in a time of about a minute, minute and a half. Absolutely crushed it. He just smashed the bike. So the basically the top four guys, the top three, which include um, Cullum, Craig Alexander, and David Manwarning, they did 209. Torenzo did 158. Killed it. Absolutely smacked it and still ran the same time as those guys. Yeah. He is, man, I'm interested to see how he goes in Kona this year. But he's going racing Ironman Cairns as well. I saw, and I get the emails from him. And oh, I'm going to be there, John. Yeah, you're not going to watch the race, though. No, I'm leaving, but I'll, I'll go. To the, I might go to the media go, briefing go to the day before. Pre-race stuff. Yeah, well, I'll try to get some interviews. Well, it depends what I'm doing with my daughter. I'm there to see my daughter, not a race. But is, is he racing? I mean, he, he's a prolific racer, but is he going to be? You think you okay? think it's too much of a risk? I don't know. I mean, you're doing Western Australia. He's done a bunch of seventy point threes and Ironman New Zealand. And he's won everything. He won this one. And then he's gonna be going doing Ironman Kens. I bet you he's gonna carry on racing. So I don't know. In the old days, the theory was you do a mid you do a June, July race, go hard, you screw yourself for Kona. Mm. But in the last few years that's been proven wrong. Mm. So But he's gonna be going to the limit in Kens as well. It's a star studded field, so it's not like it's gonna be tooling around for a, for a, an easy victory, but Good luck to him. If oh. got, uh, you know, Jeez, I'd love him to crack one at Kona. Mm. You know, <laughs> <laughs> Thomas, don't even ask your dad what that's about. Um, but, jeez, the results are saying something. Killing it. It's killing this it. is the best we've seen. Like, Torenzo in the past 70.3 dominant Ironman. This year, it wouldn't last 18 months, Ironman killing it. And, you know, Fast races, he's knowing how to win an Ironman, mm. but then he's still coming up and backing up these races as well. Impressive. Come on, Trenzo. Liz Blatchford took out the girls' race. Uh, elsewhere around the world, Challenge Riccone in Italy, Aguilo Malari uh, took it out four hours 58. Yvonne Van Vlerken took out the girls' race. St. George? St. George. We had a very strong field at St. Yeah. George 70.3. Good payday, about 20k US. Yeah, North American Championships. Great battle between uh, Lionel Sanders and Sebastian Keenlay by the look of it. Uh, came down to the run, and Lionel Sanders. Uh, 
took down Keenlay. Michael Vice. No, what about that run? He did hell? a one ten. What the hell is going on there? That guy's supposed to be a biker and he's running a one ten. It's impressive. and he didn't have a great bike. Yeah. In comparison to you know, if he's a great biker, you think he'd be able to save Keenlay and Sanders. Mm. Sam Appleton fourth, Tim Reid fifth. Uh, it's a very strong field. Interesting result on the girls' side. I think it's Paula Finlay, former ITU staff. For it. She had a just smoking it for like a season and a half or so in the ITU. And from, as far as I can kind of understand, just either got burnt out or, or just had lots of injury problems. But uh, winning against a, a highly quality field there. So she took that out in 4.15 over Jenny Seymour and Sarah True, another ITU girl. And Meredith Kessler, I mean, she's coming back from a baby and she raced... Which she raced was it last weekend or the weekend before? Uh, I think it was last weekend in Texas. It was uh, rode four, no, rode two twenty three. Spanked everybody. Struggled on the run, but bloody hell, she looks like she's back in terms of her swim bike combo. And and for a lot of athletes, racing's how they like to get fit. Mm. You know, so if you get back into it after having a baby, maybe it's but her approach. Great field. Heather Wordle down in six. Melanie McQuaid in ninth. Uh, Wildflower made a return this year, which is fantastic. It's an iconic race. It's one of the races I would love to go and do. It's just got a whole party atmosphere around it, as well as being one of the... Well, it's one of the iconic races, isn't it? Oh, just a very, very honest race. You know, when Jesse Thomas comes down to Challenge Wanaka, which is a fantastic challenging cut course not out of this world hard or anything and he says you know wildflowers you know twice as hilly and as this race you're going wowzers that must be decent so yeah. rudolf van berg uh, a french guy who uh, was raised born in states i think he was raised in france he took out jesse thomas the king of wildflower uh with nathan killen in third place and then on the girls side of things here either jackson beat out uh carrie lester and robin pomeroy so Lots of racing uh, starting to kick off. Great times, rock and roll. Okay, John Newsom. the show notes say that we need to be talking about Ironman Santa Rosa age group only. Coming up this weekend. Good luck everybody racing there. One of our age group only races. Age group only races. They, I can't remember how well they're doing with the numbers. I think they do okay, don't I think they? Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, but let's go back to Texas. Now, you might get a bit more of a rant on the guys. Thomas, again, this is how you hear your dad all the time, because what happened after Ironman last week was we, there was a little bit of controversy. It was a little bit too, too close to race to see what was going to happen with the record. And at first, Ironman came out and said, we aren't going to recognise this as a record because we do know that the race was shortened. And then they came back and said, no, now the records count. <laughs> Bevan. Here Bevan. we go. Here we go, team. No, no, no. It's a smoke screen. It's a smoke. Tell me about it. It's a, it's a complete smokescreen because now everybody's talking about this, which, yes, it's an issue, but the bigger issue is the drafting problem for the age groupers on the bike. And people aren't talking about it now. They're talking about this and ah, how much of a debacle. <laughs> nice. I love how much of a conspiracy, conspiracy, conspiracy theory. That's right. I love how much. I love your thinking, John Newsom. Because You're saying, look over here. This, this is a debacle of extremely high proportions, and it's, it really is laughable. The initial decision, in light of everything else that goes around the world, was the wrong decision. Austria's short. Challenge Road's short. The, the, loads of races are in that sort of range of shortness. But and they haven't done anything about it in the past. So I think the initial decision was incorrect. So you think they should have said it's a record? Well, no. I'm, I'm from now on, Bevan, and you can kick me under the table okay, every time I'm this comes up. Wait for it. I'm not recognising so-called Ironman World Records any longer. I'm recognising course records because it's just such a joke in terms of trying to compare all these different races. I'm not comparing them unless 
someone comes out with a certification, somebody like ITU comes out and says, if you want to have an official record at your race, it needs to be measured. Measured. It needs to be no different to, to marathons. It needs to be accurate. Whether or not they have a, a frame of you've got to be within 300 metres or whatever. Yeah. But until that comes out, I'm not recognising world best times anymore. And if it happens on the show, pull me up. You can pull me up. Listeners, pull me up. Uh, but I certainly will recognise course records. Well, here's, so Matt Hansen, so triathlete.com had an article and, and Matt Hansen said, I'd like to think that Ironman did the right thing. Now he's talking about saying it's a record. To not count the record would be telling the, all the age groupers who completed their course that they are indeed not Ironman finishers. I was initially trying really hard to tow the line and not try to claim something that many people felt I didn't earn. In the sport, it has been hard to compare the times on one course to a time on another. There are so many variables such as wetsuit, non-wetsuit, current assistance, and swim, weather, road surfaces, etc. There is also going to be a bit of variances within the courses. Ironman needs to have an acceptable level of variance that still counts as a race, as an official Ironman. If you consider Ironman Texas as an Ironman, then the times do indeed count. I do think that because Ironman accepted that this as a brand best time, I am the. Be- oh, do I think that because they accepted it as a brand best time, I am the best Ironman athlete? Absolutely not. I put together the best race I possibly could have on a fast course. Where the weather and the competition promoted fast times. The most frustrating thing to me is to be put in a situation where so much of the negative attention and focus on the course issues that a lot of really great feats and outstanding stories that would have been so great and positive for the sport are getting lost in the result. Hopefully, when the dust settles, these great stories can come to get some of the attention they deserve. And I, I agree with him. That, like his run there, you've still got to run 42.2Ks, and that was insanely fast. So a bit good old Arnold Sulikov, he gave me some stats. And again, the this weather, weather, weather conditions it? there just made for fast. Weather conditions and the design of that course made for extremely Because it can get times. windy too, can't it? And it sounded like, from, from what I heard, was the wind picked up a little bit at exactly the right time and gave oh, you so a tailwind, tailwind. Okay. for one section when you didn't have to have the headwind to, to battle against. Uh, so he did 2017. One male under four thirty, uh, one male under four thirty, nine under four forty, twenty nine under four fifty, seventy eight under five hours. The next year, this year, three hundred and forty five under five hours, two hundred and seventy seven under four fifty, hundred and seventy eight under four thirty, and sixty three under four hours thirty. Insane amount. That's like, yeah, it's it's, it's just ridiculous. It's, it's really it? hard to compare. So, yeah. But wasn't Scott Tinley kind of also in this article? It's just got records of any type are integral component of the velocity of modern sport. Both fans and participants want and should be allowed to know where they stand across the arc of sports history. Factors such as conditions, competition, strategy, preparation, and fortune uh, will affect times. But it seems that to allow a pre-admitted an accurate distance to be considered a record relative to correctly measured courses is a challenge to history as as well as the integrity of the sport. Race directors is a tough job and we are lucky that the quality of our sport is as good as it is. But shit happens, no big deal, we move on. But records last forever and they should reflect on the level of correctness and the service that came with it. So I actually like your idea. I think that maybe what they need to do is to say we are going to have... 
the option of races to say if it's an official mm. course distance. Certif- certified. And it's no different. There's marathons out there that aren't 100% accurate. Mm. But if you want to be uh, like a Boston qualifier or something like that, there's parameters in terms of the elevation change I think you're allowed to have. And uh, I think that's sometimes stretched a little bit because I have seen some downhill marathons that are actual qualifiers, which is, so maybe I'll retract that. But in terms of, yeah, it just needs to be a, a formula that says you've got if you, if you want this to be a certified Ironman, you have to be within these parameters, and it's pretty straightforward. And it, it, from a defending race directors, Ironman challenge, etc., it sometimes can be really difficult to get it exactly right if you're doing a looped course. But if you want to, it's you find a side street. If you if you're a kilometre yeah. out, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm thinking in route, uh, they do a looped course there. And if they want to get to 180 kilometres, you just have to find a side road, ride a kilometre up there and have a turnaround and come back out. Not ideal, but you can make it happen. Well, this is the thing, isn't it? Because the record's always a bit of a... Every time there's a record, there's a controversy. Mm. And it, and that's a bit of a problem, isn't there? Because mm. when you get like a road, you're going, isn't it short? Mm. And then when you get Ironman saying you're the Ironman world record holder, you know, and so let's say Lionel Sanders... Who was the previous record holder, wasn't he? Or was it Tim Don? Tim Don. Tim Don, yeah. Tim Don was the previous record holder. Let's say he'd done it on a proper size course and he lost his record right now. Hmm. You'd be ripping your undies, wouldn't you? You would be. Because you'd, you'd be, be saying, what? back it up. He did three guys less than me. Hmm. And yeah, I, I actually think, Don, you found the answer. Right. But maybe there needs to be an organisation... Well, outside I, of our sport, outside of the, the main organisations that would offer their services. Well, no, that's something that ITU would need to do. They're the international governing body aligned with the IOC, etc. Okay. And, and they should be the ones that should be doing it. Yeah. So this, because then... Or race organisers, if you want to band together and pay me $10,000 for per race, I will go and... You will suffer I'll, through I'll, the pain. I'll go and measure the course. I love, it, I love how you always put yourself last. Yeah. You know, that's the thing about you. So the answer is... Have a certification the process. Answer is have an Pay John ten thousand dollars. <laughs> well, no, but I do think you need it measured as well, and certification is a good way of doing it. And then the good because like that's the sad thing about the record at the moment is every time we see a record be broken, mm. it's always overshadowed by what if. Yeah. And it'd be kind of cool if we're going to say, you know, you might still get short courses, and you go, oh, that's a fast race, but it ain't in the record. Mm. But they, hey, he did it on a certified course, and you know. Albeit. Okay, Jombo, uh, next thing we want to talk about here is yeah, that Ira John's ITU update. Oh, yeah. Goodness, I was almost going to... Don't get too far ahead of yourself. Get... Right, so this weekend coming up, we've got uh, Yokohama. My Thomas, I know Thomas is excited because it's a good time zone for New Zealand. Yokohama's in Japan. Nope. It's an Olympic distance, flat and fast course, and we've got all the rock stars, uh, pretty much all the rock stars, returning to race. Probably the exception would be uh, Brownlee and uh, Andrea Hewitt. So seeding-wise, you've got Mario Mola seeded one, Henry Schumann. Uh, will the Norwegians be able to back up their impressive uh, performance from Bermuda? So you've got Idan Gustav who finished, he got third in Bermuda, Fernando Alanza, Christian Blumenfeld who finished second, uh, Vincent Louis uh, on, the, on the comebacks, so very, very strong field, get this pretty much at all the races. Guys side, you got 56 on the start line, female side of things, we have uh, the, we have Kirsten Casper seeded number one, Rachel Klammer who won in Abu Dhabi, and then we've got Flora Duffy, uh, she's going to be very hard to beat, Katie Zaveras is in there, so again, Really strong field, and we have 54 females on the start line. This race is flat course, not overly technical, quite often ends up being in 
bunches uh, quite often comes down to the run, but with Flora Duff- Duffy in the in the mix, chances are she'll just TT off the front. And I'm just a bit more excited about ITU this year because you don't necessarily know what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, you, you know, it's quite feasible that... Sports do get ruined when you get a dominant character, don't they? It's mm. like Schumacher, Schumacher when he was just in Formula 1 where it was it got boring. Yeah, and so, same with, with Brownlee. So now, now when I watch the, the females race, I'm going, it's probably going to be pretty boring because Flora Duffy's probably going to win. Yeah. Um, but guys' side of things, there's, there's quite a few different dynamics that could happen. And so, yeah, looking forward to seeing what can happen this weekend. Gwen Jorgensen did a half marathon. She did her first half marathon since switching away from Ironman, the Mary Half Mary Champs, or the USTF, USATF Half Mary Champs, and she only got a fourth place, which, jeepers, creepers, if I could get a fourth and a half marathon, I'd be pretty happy, but she was slightly disappointed in her race. Uh, time of one ten, about 50 something. Pretty solid. Yeah. Uh, so finished fourth place. So on Jack Daniels V dot, uh, a one hour ten gives you a two hour twenty six marathon if you're able to transfer that same performance across to a marathon. So two twenty six is pretty competitive around the world. You know, it's at a lot of the major marathons, that's going to give you a, a top ten, if not a little bit higher than that. You know, at London and Paris, obviously conditions are different at all those races, but. If she can run 2.26, I think she'll be reasonably competitive. She's not going to be winning Olympic medals or anything with that, but uh, pretty pretty honest start. And she, the one other thing... Well, in her, in her YouTube um, things that she created for the race, she's got eating humble pie. So, eating humble yeah, pie. Yeah, so she, I don't think she was over there. She's definitely looking lean. How lean was she when she was doing Ironman? She was I mean, very, she she's was always very, been she lean. She always had the runners build. Okay, yep. um, The one other ITU thing that I wanted to mention was there was World Cup racer Ching Zhao in, uh, in China over the weekend. And I do like the format that the, the ITU are going for, uh, for for different races. So at this race, it's, you know, World Cup is your next tier down. It's the opportunity for you know the emerging athletes to really shine and and have a competitive race and also accrue points so they can try to make that step up to the World Triathlon Series. And uh, so what they do at this one, they have a sprint distance try and they had uh, they've they've two two three three male um, waves or, or they call them semifinals. I don't know why they call them semifinals when they haven't had a heat. I just call them heats. Yeah. And then you go through to a final and in the final then they, it's uh, even shorter distance. So the sprint takes the guys you know 50 minutes and then they have like a super sprint final uh, which is sort of roughly half that distance so on the girls side of things Emma Je- Jeffcoat took it out um, from Tasman Moana Veal uh, and then on the guys side of things uh, Ratislav Petsov from Azerbaijan Wow! took that out from a uh, Frenchie Felix, Felix, Felix uh, Delchamp so yeah, I like the direction they're heading and just being a bit innovative there. And also by doing this, it enables them to have big start lists uh, and give lots so people aren't getting excluded. And if you don't make the A final, there is the opportunity, at least on the guys' side of things, they had a B final as well. So you get to do two races, so you might completely cock the first one up. And if you do that, at least you've got a second chance. So uh, for developing athletes, I think it's good. And for the local organisers, it also gives them an opportunity to, to just have a few different... Um, Strings to their bow in terms of trying to get spectators down there. John, I've got, I've got a bit ahead of myself. Let's talk about a sponsor first because I started looking at this week's discussion and I saw the photo that you put up. <laughs> I didn't actually put a photo up. So uh, let's talk about sponsor. Who are we talking about, Jonbo? Extreme Endurance. Galactic Buffer. And you're talking about Joe Rogan podcast. Thomas, oh, no, we're, we're, do not listen to that. We're going to be getting a guy on the podcast in the next couple of weeks, one of the, the sponsored athletes by Extreme Endurance, Zach Bitter. Uh, he is a extreme ultra, ultra runner. runner. American so record holder. we're going to get him on the show at some stage in the near future. And he uses all their products. And if it works for him, 
he goes pretty bloody good. And he was recently on a Joe Rogan podcast, which is one of the most successful podcasts out there. Right. Like you get on Joe Rogan, lots of people listen to you. <laughs> once you made him talk. Yeah, he, he's probably more excited about this one. <laughs> but he, um, that Joe Rogan one does it, it's sort of a more of a video podcast as well, isn't it? Oh, they, they're on YouTube as well, but it's actually yeah. the biggest, it's probably one of the top five podcasts in the world. We're coming to get you, Joe Rogan. Yeah, come on, Joe Rogan. He's an MMA fighter. Come on, Joe Rogan. Take us on. We'll take you on in a running race. I know you do your hill repeats. You ain't got nothing on us. Come to the, the wetsuit aquathon over in Kona. Yeah, come on, Joe Rogan. Your big guns. We don't care about your big guns. We want to see lean arms, athletic arms. Yeah, Bevan, I've been hitting the uh, immune boost uh, in the last 24 hours. I've got a little bit of a tickle in the throat. I'm just hitting that immune boost. I guarantee you, come tomorrow, I'm going to be... Firing on all cylinders for my Wednesday morning bike session with the crew in the uh, Waltham club rooms we've got on the Wahoo Kickers. The Waltham so, club rooms. Yep. So guys, if you want to make sure you stay nice and healthy, get the immune boost. Forty nine ninety five. Prop in the I am Talk Twenty podcast. Uh, I am Talk Twenty promo code. You get twenty percent off that. It's uh, vegan, vegetarian capsules and easy travel. Got Ziploc bags for you guys that are traveling around, so you don't have to carry around big hard cases. It's a daily multivitamin for men and women, uh, optimally formulated to help nourish cells, tissues, body organs against damaging free radical attacks. It's a com- comprehensive formula of vitamins, minerals, antioxidants, phytonutrients, specifically chosen to help assist the immune system and provide steady nutrient support. If you can stay healthy, you can keep that training consistency up. So check it out at xendurance.com and use the promo code IMTALK20. And if it's good for Zach Bitter, um, is it Bitter, Biter? Bitter? Yeah, I don't know. It's good for you guys. He's not a biter, he's yeah. a bitter. And so remember, if you're going on to the dot .com, that'll work on the dot .com website. If you're in uh, the UK or in Europe, there's you can use it on the .co.uk or .eu websites. Uh, so get on it, and uh, while you're there, get yourself one of their fancy drink bottles and some of their kick-ass clothing. Tell you what, kick-ass clothing is pretty cool. And, and the good thing about the kick-ass clothing is it's pretty cheap, and you know John and I. $25 roll. $25 t-shirt policy, yeah, and they, they hit the $25 t-shirt policy. Uh, and remember, guys, let's be honest, you want to stay healthy when you're training, so and it's a good way to stay healthy. international listeners outside of New Zealand and Australia, uh, they have really improved their shipping rates recently. Uh, so if, if you've looked at it in the past and gone, shipping's out of this world, it's going to cost me more to ship it than the actual product, uh, they are using a different company now, so it may well be a lot better price for you. So go and check it out. Remember the promo code IMTOR. I am talk 20 okay Jonbo so what we have here is this week's discussion it's not a very good one to have a discussion around because we basically looked at photos of um, basically we said to you guys we want to see the photo of when you begun your journey and where you are in your journey right now and again it's not the best one to talk about but if you get a chance make sure you go on our I am talk Facebook feed uh, and look at this one because there is some gold we'll, 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 we'll acknowledge them well, but we can help describe them there's been some pretty good weight losses in there for yeah, people I'm yeah. pretty impressed you look pretty mean when you're young that's what I'm laughing about <laughs> so new Sam I didn't put one up but you look like you're a bit bigger when you're younger a bit more solid uh, I was probably maybe I was a bit but I was you know I was a bit of a swimmer kid I wasn't legendary but this photo was taken in 1993 at the secondary school national secondary schools champs which so you're one of those guys see John when I was about that age I still looked like I was hitting puberty mm-hmm. so how old were you 1993 how old are you there that would have been fifth form so probably what uh, oh no I should work it out from years so 76 to 93 so I was probably 6 16 yeah so like you look like a man yeah, no, I went through puberty pretty bloody early. Did you? Yeah. Yeah. 
And at first, I suppose when you're first, you're loving it because you're the kind of man. Mm. And whereas me, I was still wondering if I was going to get my pubes. Yeah. Yeah, 15. So yeah. <laughs> if I was next to you, then you would have just, oh, look at this little, little squirt. Yeah. And then now, I'm still waiting to get my pubes. <laughs> <laughs> so I was well impressed with that photo. So, so, so I, I put up a picture of me. Uh, I think I was about to get past. I think that race, I was in like fourth place coming into like the last three or 400 metres. Then I got swamped by two or three people. Gutted, and then I put up a picture of uh, racing at the seventy point three in Kona last year. Being being Washington, being Washington twenty thirteen challenge pre John Coach John. So in three years, he's lost 30 kg. What a great photo. He looks pumped when he finishes Ironman Western Australia. Yeah, he's trimmed down. That is ben. impressive, Ben. Love your work. Dawn Parr, she got her first picture up here in 2011, uh, and she's she's got the, you know, the big helmet on and got the long sleeve T-shirt on. She hasn't got any aero bars on. Next time, she's looking like a lean, mean machine with a aero helmet, all of you know, colour-coordinated gear. She's down on her bars, ripping it. We've got a couple of other classics here as well. Laura Siddle, Ironman Australia winner here. She's put up a picture of her riding a bloody mountain bike. It looks like about 1925 that she's riding it. Yeah. And then a, a super aero position, absolutely smoking it at, uh, I think, Ironman New Zealand earlier this year. Tony Hodge is looking mean. She's gone from uh, Lake Hood 2009. She's an Ironman Western, I mean, Ultraman Western, uh, Ultraman Australia, not Western, in 2017. She's looking sharp as well. Significant body shape change there, Tony. I do love Dawn Paz. I know you just talked about it, but yeah. that is classic 101 turn up to a triathlon. <laughs> Steal your kid's helmet. Lucy yeah. Francis has got a great one here. This is brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> that is gold. Her first picture she's got of her is her. She's crashed on her bike and she's, she's she, that's actually got her like two seconds post-crash, leaning on a barrier, her feet still sort of clipped in, just completely carked <laughs> it. Uh, and that was... So uh, she's learned how to stay on the bike. Learned how to stay on the bike. That was 2008. And then in her 18th Ironman in Zurich last year, absolutely killing it. Uh, an old Scott has got it when he did Nice in 1993 and he's got Ironman New Zealand 2018. I think Derek Murray's probably got the biggest spread here uh, or maybe Arno uh, and Derek. So his first one was in 1990 down racing in Sumner in Christchurch and then 2018 racing in Sydney. And then in the 1990 back then... Didn't get disqualified. Would have these days running without a top on. Got all the gear out. Oh, good old Stephanie Linkus. Tell you what, she looks like she's pretty much started as a pro. <laughs> Her first race is in 2018 and then the second one is 2017. And she looks pretty sharp in the first race. So she, she turned up ready to go on day one. James, the Red Rocket, uh, Thomas, has, uh, is also a contender for significant changes in body appearance between his two posts uh, and I will say almost almost everybody has sort of gone from you know not looking potentially the best to, to obviously oh, later yeah. in their career looking heaps better the one reversal <laughs> Pike, <laughs> Can I, who are you going to shit on right now <laughs> oh, Pike Reardon 1993 to 2018 I'm not saying he's degraded but the picture that he's got just the contrast from 1993 he looks like he's winning the bloody world champs he looks like Spencer Reardon, Smith Pike or, Reardon, Reardon. or is he the guy who the big unit He's got big guns. Yeah. Oh, he is just this tanned, lean, mean machine yeah. in 1993. Not downing you on 2018. No, he's actually the, looking, the, still the, looking the, sharp. The contrast is just really different. Yeah. Uh, he's back in the times when you wore the Speedos, John. Oh, he's looking impressive. I wouldn't miss with that guy. Look at those guns on him. Oh, he'd take on Joe Rogan. He would. Yep. And then we've got Brent Chan. Brent wah, Chan. He did the YMCA try in 2011, and then he did Wildflower 2016. Just lastly, gone. Uh, Chelsea gone? Watson. 
Gone or John? John, yep. yep. Uh, he's got, hell no, I'm older, heavier. So <laughs> <laughs> she didn't put the photos up. Who's Tracy Watson? I've yeah. seen hers. Oh, she didn't put photos. That's why she's got okay. not doing it. <laughs> um, so that was a good discussion. So this week's discussion, John, we're going to talk about drafting a little bit with John. Uh, so we're just going to know, want to know, what are your tips for dealing with drafting situations when you're racing? Obviously, it's not a nice situation to be in, but what when you're in that situation, how do you deal with it in a way where you can kind of remain ethical and feel good about yourself and still race the smartest race? We're trying to share any practical tips because we're trying today. I'm going to do a segment shortly on drafting and and the ins and outs of that and how to try to make the best of a shitty situation. How do you guys deal with that? Because it is about education and knowing the rules and how to strategically to play it. So give us some tips. Okay, John. Uh, we're going to do an interview. We've got Sarah Gross on. Sarah, not Sarah. We talked about that with you mm-hmm. beforehand. Uh, and she's talking a little bit about the Women in Triathlon Summit, which is presented by Triathlon Triathlete Magazine. So here is Sarah right now. Righto, guys. Uh, some of you who have been, uh, who you eagle eyes on social media and uh, some of the triathlon websites around the world will have seen there's going to be a new Women in Triathlon Summit. Summit is presented by Triathlete Magazine. It's called Outspoken. And Sarah Gross, who we've had on the show before talking about Bahrain endurance a, a while ago, uh, she is one of the, the ladies behind it. So welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Right, so we know um, don't know too much about this. So tell us a bit about what your what the sort of organisation or the summit's all about. Because we've had Try Equal, who a lot of people will have heard of. You know, the the fifty uh, trying to get the fifty women for Kona. Ironman have got their women for Try. Um, so what are you what are you sort of uh, what's the go with your this this summit? Well, so it all started. I met uh, my partner in this Lisa Ingerfield uh, last year on email actually she had reached out to me for a try equal initiative that she was volunteering for and she I saw at the bottom of her email footer she has a PhD uh, so I asked her what it was in and it's in intercultural communication and so we just had this great big huge conversation about a lot of the things that we're both passionate about in terms of getting more women into triathlon uh, what some of the problems are creating more diversity in triathlon making it more accessible for people from various backgrounds, sort of all of the above. Um, And then we started to brainstorm about, okay, what can we do? And the idea that that floated to the top was this idea of the Women's Summit uh, in terms of a way that we could get everyone together to kind of address the the multi-layered issues around um, women in triathlon. So... That's kind of how it started. So it's not really, uh, it's not taking anything away from like Try Equal or Women for Try or anything like that. It's more just a, a summit where you, you are really just trying to get everybody together in one place to sort of hash out the various different issues out there. Yeah, in fact, we're hoping to have a lot of the people who were involved originally with TriEqual, representation from women for Tri, and all these various corners. I mean, over the years, I've met loads of women who are passionate about getting more women into the sport and helping women rise through the the levels of the sport, too. Um, So we thought there was an opportunity there to get everyone together. So yeah, it's not definitely not taking away from any of the other initiatives. And just like, just on that point, um, we really felt that, you know, Women for Try, for example, is doing a great job of, of attempting to get more women into the sport at kind of the 
base level, the beginner level, um, and they're doing a really good job of it. But some of the next levels of getting more women into coaching or into leadership position and into industry, some of those things are missing. Um, and so that's kind of what a lot of what we're hoping to talk about at the summit, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. What a, I mean, because you're talking to two guys here, and so we don't understand the woman's psyche as, as well <laughs> as... Woman that much at all, if we're going to be honest. <laughs> um, what are, you know, the real key barriers that actually are, are stopping either women getting into the sport or, or, as you said, sort of taking that step to the next level, whether it be coaching or whether it be going from a, a novice to the next level? What are, what are some of the key things, probably talking more to our, our male audience to make them understand a bit better? Ha, huh, good question. Um, <laughs> We've only got two hours. <laughs> I, I have to think about this. Um, yeah, I, I think, well, first of all, one of the goals of the summit is to identify what those issues are. So I'm not, mm. if I had all the answers now, maybe mm. we wouldn't need the summit. Um, mm. But I think we need to create more stepping stone programs. So for example, as I just started my own business and as a woman entrepreneur, and on the west coast of Canada, I can reach. I have a number of organizations I can reach out to. So, for example, I got a mentor through the Forum for Women Entrepreneurs out of Vancouver, and they did a great job. They paired me with someone who had a business quite like mine, who was a few steps down the road, and I got a lot out of that mentorship experience. And that kind of triggered me to say, okay that piece is missing a little bit from mm -hmm. triathlon. So um, that the mentorship piece or the kind of, I don't know what you'd say, like creating pathways for women to go places that we don't typically see women. Mm -hmm. um, so to me, that would be a, a bit of a barrier. When you're, when you're in a, a group that's, and you're in the minority, sometimes it's hard to to be the first one to step up or for example, in women's coaching, okay, I'll try to get more tangible here. So in women's <laughs> coaching, we have, um, Siri Lindley coaching, doing a good job of coaching pros. We have Julie Dibbins, Marilyn Chakota, um, some great coaches, but three in the vast world of, um, elite coaching is not a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, and sometimes that can still be intimidating. So let's say we could create a system where, um, where those women are, offering, you know, are offering to speak as an example, and people can then aspire to be where they are and so down the road or down the levels, you know, so I think it's creating some of those. So you can understand it. That's kind of hard to mm, no, no, describe, no. but do you, do you see what I'm getting at? Yeah, no, yeah. I totally understand. Those stepping stones are bloody. That's, that's the key because there's lots of, there's lots of programs out there for do your first triathlon yeah. and go and do that. But then where do you go to from there? It kind of goes from that to either going and doing a 70.3 or an Ironman or it's, it's quite an intimidating step. So I understand where you're coming from. And also it seems like what you're saying is to create some kind of infrastructure or backing for those who do want to have the ambition of going to that next step so they see a pathway forward. You should have yes, Bev, you should exactly. have Bevan over at your uh, conference. He's got a women's running pro well, not yeah, women's running go. running program. It's got it's got that pathway. There we go. There we go. Um, oh, yeah? <laughs> so what, what? So for you guys, kind of sitting down, kind of thinking, let's do this. What are the kind of outcomes that you are hoping to achieve? Uh, to come out of the coming yeah, out of the summit. Yeah. Yeah. So I think okay. So we framed. It's a three day summit, and it's um no at the last weekend that kind of goes between November, December. Um, and we framed it around 
past, present, future. So I, I mean, I don't think as a first time summit, I don't think we can move forward on any topic about women in triathlon without first learning from the women who have gone before us. Uh, and then to assess, okay, what can we learn from there? And then what's the present situation of women in triathlon assessing that and then moving forward to the future on, excuse me, on the third day. So one of the main outcomes we're hoping is to create kind of a vision for that, for what we think is missing and to create, to get people maybe to take a pledge to which aspects of uh, what they could do moving forward to help. Uh, so we're really hoping to create a brainstorming session that is informed by all of the people who have gone before us and all the people with who know something about what's going on. Great. So um, you're pretty well connected. You know, you've been a you're a pro. You had a, a long and glittering career. So you obviously and you, you know a lot of the pros, and you've been involved with the, with Triequal and things like that. So at this stage, um, do you have any of your sort of guest speakers or stars announced, or is that a secret you're saving uh, as you trickle information out there? Huh, well, it's, it's sort of both and. So. Uh, yeah, I do. I, I do feel um, that one of the advantages I have is that because I've recently retired, I'm I'm in touch with a lot of pro and industry people and I know people. And that was one of the things that the, the connections I've made with a lot of people, even through 50 Women to Kona, right through all those conversations um, is great. And so there's so many people that I think could speak really well to some of these topics. So mm-hmm. right now we are putting together our final list of people that we would like to invite to speak. And we're, um, yeah, we're just getting, I'm, I'm actually super excited about it. I'm having a meeting about it right after this. Uh, and that's, that's going to be our next press release. So watch for that within the next, I'd say six weeks we're going to have, I've already secured a few we have, um, and we'll have a bunch more exciting speakers. Cool. So for people that are listening, um, what's the sort of deal with the, the, the summit? How, what, what sort of, um, what does it involve? You sort of said it's a, it's a sort of three, three day or two and a half, three day um, summit. What's it sort of involve? Who's it for? Where is it? Costs, etc. like that. If people are thinking, yeah, this, this might be um, something for me, sort of run us through the details of uh, those that might be interested. Okay, so the summit is the 30th of November to the 2nd of December and it's in Tempe, Arizona and we intentionally chose an off-season time. <laughs> we chose Tempe because it's right near an international airport. Um, I know it's, it's not too near you guys um, <laughs> but but in the North American context um, it's pretty easy to fly to and we wanted it to be accessible for people mm-hmm. um, and so it's, it's over two and a half days and in the mornings we're going to have some we're going to have basically workouts. You I mean you have to have workouts to triathlon conference. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we'll have some pros and coaches who are um, coaching those workouts. Um, and then during the day, there's going to be a number of keynote speakers and then some breakout sessions around top. There's, there's a bunch of topics um, around people who might want to get into entrepreneurship or into the business of triathlon or people who are more interested in the coaching side. Um, or we have a, another stream of advocacy and, you know, how to talk to naysayers uh, or <clears throat> people who might not understand the need for why we need to encourage women into triathlon, just giving people tools to take back home with them and how they can talk to people. Um, and then, as I said, I mean, through the three days, we're going to be weaving these themes of past, present and future. So um, 
we're hoping, I mean, I, I guess I just wanted to create a summit that I thought if I create a summit that I want to go to, mm -hmm. <laughs> then mm -hmm. hopefully other people will um, as well. So does that answer your question? Yeah, absolutely. Um, who's, who's it for? Like if, if, you know, like for those listening, um, what, what's the target market, if you know what I mean? Yeah, well, we're, I mean, for the most part, we're trying to empower women at every level. So I see people coming who are already involved in the high level of leadership in triathlon. Some of them will be as speakers, um, people to sort of share their wisdom, as it were. And then anyone who would be looking to kind of move up through the ranks or be involved more, you know, after you get past that beginner stage, you know, you've done your first triathlon, you feel empowered by the process and you're looking for, okay, what could I do? Could I coach? How could I get involved more in the triathlon community? Um, I think that it's it's mostly those people that we're looking for cool uh and website or anything like that where's where people go to find out more information yeah the website is very easy it's outspokensummit.com is live now and you can the registration's also open so our early bird registration uh is available now until the end of june i think cool so. um off on on another slightly other tangent you know still sort of saying on <clears throat> the woman's side of things but try equal and 50 women to, to kona etc where where are we at with that these stages it seems like that that's it seems to me, not that I've done my research, but just that is the 50 woman to Kona thing just when Andrew, as, as, Andrew, as long as Andrew Messick's in charge, it's basically not going to happen. Have you guys <laughs> given up the ghosts on that or, or where are you sort of at with, with Triquil and the 50 woman to Kona? Yeah, well, I'm glad I'm glad you said that about Messick, so I didn't have to. <laughs> um, I think that's where, you know, we just ended up banging our head against the wall, where we did everything we could to try to create equal opportunity for the female pros. And when, you know, when there's one, or, I don't know, one or two people in charge who don't want to make that change, there's going to be a point at which there's not much more we can do. Mm. Um, and so... I, yeah. And so that's, I mean, we're still, we're still active. Uh, we still have try equal going and actually we have a, um, with try equal, we started an initiative for coaching to, to offer women three months of free coaching. Um, and that still runs every year we have, um, around usually around a hundred women who get free coaching for three months into often into their first race, uh, through that initiative. So that's been really successful. So there's still things going on there. Um, we just didn't feel it was necessary to keep banging the drum on the same thing. Although, you know, the occasional, the occasional bang <laughs> once in a while, <laughs> if you follow us on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, just, just regards to women for Trife. So, so for those people who don't know, it's actually ran by all Ironman, and then it's their initiative to try to get more people participating or more females participating in the sport. Uh, just, are you like from your perspective, uh, are they having much of an impact? And what's your thoughts on what they're doing with that? Good question. I don't know everything about what Women for Try has done. I think they've had great opportunities through the Ironman Foundation, you know, who offers them grants that they then pass on to. I know they've created a college club grant in the U.S. Yep. Um, to try to get more women into that club level or girls, uh, which is great. And also a grants for triathlon clubs who are running uh girls and women's programs. Uh, so I, I can't, I mean, these are good things, right? We have to count them as good mm. things. Um, also their Facebook group has 40, over 40,000 people in it now. And you see, you know, every day, 
I, I mean, I see something in there almost every day, people just encouraging each other and all different types of women from all different backgrounds, you know, mostly in North America, but abroad as well, um, just encouraging each other in there. So that's another great thing that's come out of it. So, um, yeah, I think they've, I think they've done uh, some really good things. I will say that our club here in Christchurch, New Zealand, got a grant from the foundation. So, uh, so, oh, nice. um, so it is, it is, you know, a lot of these things often tend to be North American based, but it is starting to trickle around to different parts of the world. So, um, we're going off on a couple of different topics here. One, one that's going to come up on our podcast this week is uh, there was word Macca was keen to maybe get back into a bit of uh, bit of try, and he was wondering what what people are going to think. You know, put put the Macca issues to one side, but more pros. Uh, returning to triathlon um, as age groupers, as age groupers. So you, eventually, or you may currently be doing that. You know, you might want to be racing, but you're probably not going to be wanting to race professionally. How do you sort of feel about going back to compete if you're going to go down that path, and how pros should be treated in terms of you know it'd be pretty easy for you to say qualify for Kona. Um, so, what, have you got any thoughts on that? Oh man, tough question. I'm I'm actually at a point where because I retired recently, I can't even imagine racing and <laughs> don't even want to hear about it. Um, but yeah, it's an interesting question because you can't bar people from racing who qualify, mm. right? Mm. And there are rules about taking. I think it's a year you have to take before you can race age group. I know we've here had. Um, you, do you remember Tom Evans? I think he mm. set yeah records at Ironman Florida and stuff and then he came back as an age grouper and and won and a lot of people talked about that here in Canada um but I mean you can't blame someone for following the rules right um and if people are good athletes and they're you know into their 40s and they want to keep racing I say power to them yeah Cool. Yeah, and the, the other, when we had you on the show last time, um, we were talking about Bahrain endurance, and you'd been copping a bit of flack there um, for, for joining onto that team. And it was at the end of your season, and you gave us a, a really good explanation at the time of why you were doing it. Um, uh, and so, if people want to do want to listen to that, they can go back and listen to that podcast. Um, what was your year like with Bahrain Endurance and did you achieve what you wanted to achieve um, and wh- what sort of direction do you think the team's sort of heading in? Good question. Um, I, you know, I really enjoyed my year with them. During the year, I went to Bahrain uh, three times um, and so I met a lot of people there. I made a lot of friends that I still have now and actually one of my friends still does live videos for us from our Facebook page when she's at the races in the Middle East, a Bahraini woman. Um, so I, I personally got a lot out of it. Um, I think with the team, I was pretty proud with some of the work we did the year I was there. So we, when we were on the ground for the team camp uh, before ahead of the race, I guess that would have been in 2016. Um, we, you know, there were, we created a lot of activities where we did stuff with the locals um, that week. So we went to, I know they do this every year, but we started to increase it. We went to loads of different schools and talked to kids um, and actually it was amazing to see the athletes in the off season, like a guy like Jan Ferdino when he's racing, it's just like this serious guy. He'll just nod hello to you and that's it. You can't even talk to him. And then when he's not racing, he's just this, he's just super relaxed and he was in the schools in front of a group of kids, just am- like amusing them. It was, it was great to see. Um, we did a women's breakfast, which I was really proud about and, um, 
I, what I think was most interesting was that some of the athletes didn't realize that there were, you know, there are a lot of females who do triathlon in Bahrain, you know, local athletes. And also that the triathlon community is very international there and everybody trains and races together regardless of nationality. It's like the most, I don't know, multicultural triathlon club I have ever seen uh, mm. there. So it was just interesting to, you know, share experiences both ways, like to bring our experiences as pro athletes into schools and, and other locations. But also for us, it was very eye opening to see, Hey, like, look at what's happening in Bahrain. That it's, it's pretty cool too. So I was, I was really happy with it. I think a lot of that has continued. I couldn't continue with the team because I was, you know, I was retired and I was burnt out and mm. I just, I didn't want to race anymore. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, it's, everything's a mixed bag. It's gray. I know that it's gray. Um, mm. but I was glad to be able to, you know, get in there and do something that I felt passionate about. Cause the, the cynics uh, amongst us would say, you know, it's for, for the pro athletes, it's just about the money and you're out there racing with, with Bahrain endurance on your, on your, um, on your outfit. And, and I'm sure, you know, if they're getting those, those top, top pros like Brownlee and Fredino, they they must be shelling out some pretty, um, pretty decent cash to have them on their, their kits. So, so you, you kind of feel uh, from a marketing perspective, it, it doesn't really, and, and I don't know what their motivation is. It doesn't make me want to go to Bahrain. It's not like a try Dubai thing where I think they wanted um, more tourists to the area but you kind of mm-hmm. feel like it is actually making a difference on the ground in Bahrain and in, in terms of the team in terms of what the prince is doing and, and the racing and stuff yeah I certainly think that um, having his highness race and be part of triathlon has made a massive impact in in triathlon in Bahrain or in getting more Bahrainis to race mm. I can't it, you can't really explain it's hard to explain from a western perspective how much uh, people will look up to the shake and see. I mean, when I lived in Dubai, if near Dubai, rather, if if the shake put, got a beard, like half the men would grow beards. Mm. <laughs> it was like that's that's kind of the level of like what he's doing. I'm doing that kind of happens. Oh, um, yeah. So culturally, it's a different environment. Right. So then you imagine you have this shake who's suddenly doing triathlon. Well, of course, triathlon started to explode. Yeah. And then with the team additionally, and then with world champions coming over there and talking to people, you just have this massive ripple effect uh, yeah. that's kind of hard to, especially in a country of a million people, yeah. you know. Um, so it was pretty fun to be part of. Imagine if like Prince Harry or somebody would have went to try for what an impact that would have. <laughs> yeah, it's well, pretty, yeah. pretty similar. Um, just, just how are you finding stepping away from being a pro? Oh, uh, it's you know, I waited until I was completely burnt out and didn't like I've mentioned didn't want to race anymore. So that yeah. made it really easy for me, and also I had. Um, I actually started podcasting. You guys totally mm. inspired me. Um, <laughs> and, uh, were you guys the original? Sorry, now I'm asking you a question. Were you guys the original triathlon for, podcast? For I much. think us, us and Art of Try, I think, were the first two. Yeah. 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 Okay, cool. Yeah, we, uh, I started a couple of years ago, and uh, I've really been loving that. I just got involved in some projects that I was really loving doing, and I didn't really want to train anymore. So I think I was really lucky that I didn't have to go through a withdrawal phase, but nice. I just you know, threw my passions in a different direction and, and can carry it on. Excellent. Excellent. Great. So guys, if you want to go and uh, check out more information on the summit, go to outspokensummit.com and uh, we wish you all the best with uh, with the build-up. You've got, what, you know, six, six months or so to get ready for it. So uh, have a good six months and we'll look forward to hearing about it afterwards.
Great. Thank you. And can I just add here that we do have some scholarship opportunities. Ooh, nice. uh, we really want everyone to be able to come um, who needs to be there at the summit. That's really important to us. So if money is an issue, uh, just email me. I don't know. Maybe you guys can put it in the show notes. Yeah, yeah. I'm uh, Sarah at livefeisty.com and um, let us know because we, we really want everyone there. And it's Sarah without an H. That's right. Awesome. Thanks for your time. Yeah, great. Okay, thanks, guys. John, your thoughts? I've just come back from a wee-wee, Bevan. A (laughs) wee-wee. Got myself back in my seat. Well, the summit summit is a good idea. It'll be interesting to see how it goes because, you know, like obviously they're trying to have influence on what's happening with females in the sport and um, especially on that high-level pro stuff. educate us males. That's the thing, you know. We don't necessarily know all the barriers and stuff to, for females. So. It was like interesting how I was saying on last week's show about, you know, how females don't feel safe when they're out running mm. and like just things like that. Like, guys. Mm. We need to listen, boys. So there's, there's, there's definitely an aspect of chauvinistic pigs out there, but there's also just that some guys who do care mm. don't really know. So, a little bit of education, although it seems like this is about creating more opportunities and building networks. And so, good on them. So, again, it's outspokensummit.com. You can check it out and spread the word for those in your world who you think would get value from it. John, one, two, three. Coaches, Coaches Corner. Corner. Okay, so obviously the big topic over the last couple of weeks, although the conspiracy theory says change it to the world record, we'll stop talking about the drafting, but the drafting in Texas. And so John's put a lot of thought into I've how to deal with I've been looking at drafting. the rule books. And I think oh. that's a lot, of, a lot of people don't look at the rule books, which was actually, and I'm one of those, uh, you kind of go, well, yeah, I know the drafting distance is, you know, it, changes, it has changed quite a bit over the years and it's, you know, it's about 10, 12 metres and you've got about this amount of time to pass, etc. But it is quite, uh, if interesting is the right word, but insightful to go and actually see what the rules state. And there was a couple of surprises in there for me. So the, the idea what I'm trying to get at here is making sure that A, you guys know the rules and B, some practical tips to try to help so that bunches don't form out on the road. Bunches is a big difference between bunches and pace lines. Bunches, in my definition is fairly blatant drafting like we saw people staying inside the draft zone riding to abreast not moving blocking etc i consider that to be bunches pace lines is a bit more like what you see with the pro race in kona it's a long strung out line people are all approximately the right distance and if you want to pass you know it's just you're passing on the left side left uh, on the outside yeah so um which is legal yes so first couple of things, practically dealing with drafting and races. First thing you guys have got to accept, if you're going to a big race that's on a flat course, there will likely be congestion. And if you really want to avoid it, choose smaller races or ones with challenging terrain. You still get drafting at races with uh, with with some up and downs, you know. I mean, New Zealand, Rote, Lanzarote, etc. But it is a fairer race, isn't yeah, it? Because much, the, the up and downs gets kind of sorts the boys out from the men, doesn't it? Mm. So, But there are things you can do, not just to help, your performance but also to help the whole race run smoother uh, by not doing some things that A are against the rules or just knucklehead things to do and for guys that are listening to this you've got to try to take the testosterone out of the equation and not always be you know selfish and sometimes think about the greater good which often will lead to you actually having a better performance. So the number one rule that was blatantly not enforced and athletes were not uh, enforcing it on themselves is to keep to the side of the course so if you're racing in the southern hemisphere you've got it you've got to keep left you cannot ride 
two abreast unless you're passing. It's simple as that. If you're in the northern hemisphere, you've got to keep to the right and you cannot ride next to someone. That's what, I, that's what gets me when you look at these bunches. I'm, I'm starting to get fired up now. Yeah, people. I think the rent is coming. And people are riding next to another person and completely oblivious that they're completely in the wrong and not making any attempt to actually get to the side of the road. So that is your number one thing. Whenever you're out there racing, you've got to be thinking, Unless I'm passing, I have to keep to the side of the road, and that allows people to come past you as well. Not always that easy to do, but that's the number one rule. You, you must ride single file except for when you're passing. In terms of what the rules actually state, there is consistency now from what I can see between the ITU rules and the Ironman rules. Now, this may vary slightly from country to country. But they, did, they, they did announce country. it, didn't they? Remember they got on the same page with the rules? Hmm. So this is there's a couple of slight differences, okay. but basically it's 12 meters from front wheel to front wheel. So your front wheel to the f- beginning of your front wheel to the why beginning. Did they, why did I say back wheel? Why isn't 10 meters to front to back? Because um, it's easier for me as a rider to think. Don't I don't know the answer to that. I'm sure there's, there must be a reasonably good idea but yeah so it's essentially about 10 meters between yep. the person in front of you and and you you gotta measure that out it's actually quite a long way when, yeah. you, when you're when you're doing it so right, with my lounge i reckon that's about more than 10 meters from that to that one there yeah 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 that's so. about 10 meters yep. it's, it's a fair distance so my lounge is there that's what you want to think about right so if you get past so this if you are the person being passed as soon as someone's wheel gets in front of yours by a millimeter it's your responsibility to drop back. Okay, so if someone's coming up next to you, as soon as they're in front of you, it's your responsibility to get back. Which can be frustrating. Mm. Key thing that you can really cock things up behind you here is do not sit up and start freewheeling, which is often, if you're so shit scared that you're going to get a drafting penalty, you're going, I'm getting out of this drafting zone as quick as possible. Mm. If you freewheel back, that's going to screw everybody up behind you, which you might go, I don't care about them, they're behind me. But then that actually creates a whole Constantina, and that's how one of the reasons why bunches start to form. So when you are past... You've actually got 25 seconds to actually, well, this is where there was a slight discrepancy. In the ITU rules state that you need to make continuous progress backwards to get out of the draft zone. It doesn't actually state a time. The so as long as they see that you're moving backwards and creating that draft zone of 12 metres from front to front, then that's okay. Yeah, the Ironman rules state you've got 25 seconds to do that. I'd be a bit careful on that because 25 seconds is a long time. Long time. Yeah. And if you actually took 25 seconds to get out of the drafting zone, I reckon there's a fair chance that you might get a penalty there. So what I'm saying here is you do not want to sit up and take, get, take five seconds to get out of that draft zone. You want to just ease off your pedals a little bit and slowly go back to that uh, that 12-metre that gap or 10 metres between uh, you and the person in front. So no sudden movements. The thing with sudden movements, you've got to think this is a bit like being in a bike race. If you sit in a group and you make sudden movements, boom, you're just screwing everybody up behind you. You might be fine, but you might cause crashes behind you. Again, same thing here. If you slowly move back, it's not going to create that big Constantina and a big um, of the athletes behind you. Now, one thing that you, you can do to screw people and so this is something you don't want to do because, again, think about the greater good. If someone's coming up to pass you 
and you don't let them get your wheel in front of you, you can absolutely screw them and they'll get a drafting penalty. So what I'm saying here, say, say you, you notice... Yeah, I'm, someone, riding, I'm riding up, you see, you see me coming from behind you. You see a shadow or something like that. That person who's coming up behind you, and we'll get into that, has only got a certain amount of time to pass you. If they get, say, half a metre, within half a metre of passing you, you speed up. and you speed up, you're going to screw them. They're going to get a drafting penalty. What if you don't want to give up your space? Sorry? What if you don't want to give up your space? Well, this, is, this is the thing I'm saying. If someone is, is going to pass you... I'm not saying slow down, but if you aggressively attack so they can't get past, again, that's going to screw. Because let's say you're in a pace line, mm-hmm. and you know you're in a pace line, fifty long, mm-hmm. and you're at the front of it, and you're going, I don't want to give it my space. Yeah. So that this is this, this is I'm, I'm talking. This is what causes the problems. So if you speed up. You're going to screw that person and then they're going to get a penalty and it's also going to screw up other people that are trying to to, to pass. So I'm, what I'm saying is in the greater good, it's probably not a bad idea to let that person pass you. The benefit for you is then if you're sitting at 10 metres, you are going to get that drafting assistance and then you can make your calculations as to, okay, this person's actually slowed down, this is stupid. So you've got to just think about it strategically, Bevan. Well, that's also the hard one as well because even with the 10-metre draft, you sometimes think, oh, they're not going that fast. You get back in front of them. Oh, I'll, I'll come to yeah. that. Come to that shortly. Uh, so you are within your rights to actually speed up, but it's kind of I'd advise generally against it. Uh, you can't repass an athlete who comes past you without first dropping out of the draft zone. So if someone passes you and they pull in front of you, and you're sitting at say three meters behind behind them, and you are dropping back, you're going screw this. They're not going quick enough. I'm going to pass them. Yep. You can't do that. You've got to drop back to your 12 metres. Once you've got to that point, then you are able to pass them again. Okay. Important. Important. Uh, if this, this is some really important tips. If you get passed, accept that your effort and power are going to go down, but chances are your speed might not go down. So what I'd suggest to everybody who's out there going and racing in the past, and I don't race with speed in front of me normally, so I have you know power, I have average lap power, I have three second power, I have heart rate, cadence, etc. Do you have distance? Uh, I have that on a different screen. Okay. I, have, I have speed in terms of my velocity on a different screen, and I'd encourage everybody to have that as a bit of a measure because if you get past you want to be going, well, I need to make sure that I'm still going at the same speed. Because so you, you're getting a power benefit by being drafting exactly. more. Yep. So for example, if you're riding along at 30 kilometres an hour, somebody passes you and they pull in front of you, often you go, shit, I'm going slowly. I'm, I'm really slowing down. My effort's gone down. Yeah. My power's gone down. You panic so a little bit. Panic a bit. And, you, and then, then especially guys, they go, I've got to get back to the front. And, the, and, the, and they're constantly trying to get to the front. Whereas if you look down at your speedo and you go, oh, I'm still going 30 k's an hour, but it feels quite a bit easier, then you just got to kind of accept. And then you start to make a few decisions based on, okay, shall I sit here for a while and just ride in a pace line? Or am I actually going to try to increase my effort to get away from this group or whatever? So make sure you do have speed as an indicator on your, uh, on your bike computer. Because that's actually just really wise racing, then, isn't it? Absolutely. You're using less power to go the same speed, and which means you're saving your legs for your run. But the inexperienced athlete panics, panics, and, yep. and, the, and the effort goes down. So they go, got to go to the front, and everybody's trying to get to the front all the time. And so there's just constant, constant, constant So use speed as an indicator. If you're the person that's doing the passing, you've got 25 seconds to get past somebody. Um, you can't pull out of your manoeuvre once you actually start that passing manoeuvre. So you're kind of screwed. If you start passing and then you get halfway through it and you go, 
Oh, this is taking quite a bit of effort. You can't just drop straight back out. And I bet you a lot of people so do. So you have, to, know you that have to attempt to pass. You have to pass. And I've had this before, especially in Kona. You, you're halfway through your pass and go, shit, I'm killing myself here. But you're committed and you've got to so make sure you get in front of that person. Otherwise, you will get a drafting penalty. And again, we're constantly trying to reduce that concertina effort, which is why that rule is in place. Uh, one thing that is legal for age group athletes but illegal for Ironman athletes is slipstreaming. You mean pros? Pros, sorry, yes. So what slipstreaming is, is essentially riding directly out behind somebody and then getting to within a metre of them, so you're getting a slipstream off them and then pulling out and passing them. Which is worth doing. Which is worth doing and it helps your passing um, manoeuvre. For pros, they have to pull to the side and then start their passing manoeuvre. Okay, so age groupers, on the Ironman rules, it doesn't say slipstreaming is legal for age group athletes, but it does say for pros it is illegal. So you can slipstream. Another, this is another tactical help you can give to your fellow athletes again to try to stop the bunches forming from you. And again, put that into a slightly different context. If you're a good athlete and you want to if you stop the bunches forming, then chances are everybody's ride behind you behind you is going to be a bit harder. So one thing that athletes used to do and is, is you basically cut, cut athletes off as soon as you pass them. That forces them to de- uh, decrease their speed quite quickly because they're trying to get out of that draft zone. So what I mean is you're coming up behind beside somebody, you get your wheel in front of them, and as soon as you're a bike length in front of them, you ride, you, you pull over straight away so they're directly on, the, on your wheel and so that it's going to force them to get out of there fairly quickly because yep. there's going to be that panic. As I said before, you've got 25 seconds to get out of that zone. If you want to just try to mitigate that bunch forming quite so quickly behind you, if you pass someone and then just sort of carry on for a little bit further down the road before you actually pull in, the chances are that person then is not going to sit up quite so quickly and the chance of that bunch forming behind you is going to be slightly lessened. So that's probably just one thing when you are passing people is try not to uh, cut people off straight away. Yep. As I said, slipstreaming is not illegal. Um, and as I said, cutting off people is not illegal, but it's in... Just kind of a nice thing to do. Yeah, best interest, probably, to not cut people off. Um, uh, Passing lines of athletes? In theory, the age group is? Yeah, so um, we talked about the pros. There's a big, long line of athletes. If they want to pass, they've got to actually go pretty hard for for quite a long um, period because they can't cut in because then they're directly into somebody's uh, draft zone. It seemed to me, in theory, this same rule does not necessarily apply to age So what groupers. you're saying is in pros, you might have a line of 20, you're the guy at the back, and you basically want to kind of move up, but really, if the, if the draft's working in perfect unison, you have to go right to the front, if which every, is a if, massive effort. If everybody's riding at 12 yeah. metres. But, but now, if there's a gap, you can slip in, yeah. but if not, so it's a big effort for a pro who's at the back of a pack to go, shit, I'm going to go to the front, because if they do, they've basically got to ride, Mm. past the whole pack to get a spot unless there's a gap in which they could duck into and you're saying that maybe with age groupers it isn't the same because the slipstreaming is is allowed from what I can see for age groupers you could could pass somebody and and sort of zigzag in and out and the the rationale behind that I would imagine is if it just stops that blocking quite so much so if you are passing it looks like you can go in and out there but again you've just got to think about the other people and if you do that 
like that concertina effect in the bunch will will start to start to form. So well, the other thing the other thing is as well is that um, age groupers are probably aren't as good as that consistency of of dress zone. Mm. You know, so you, if there is a big line in front of you, you could probably start to move towards it, and you'll probably get a gap pretty quickly. Yep. So solutions for you guys as athletes: um, think about others and, and think about the big picture. Sometimes, not just totally about yourself. Often, if you think about others, chances are it might actually work in your favour. Try not to make sudden speed changes when you are in a pace line. So slowly come out of the the, the draft zone uh, and know the rules. So hopefully I've enlightened you with a, with a, with some of the rules there. And try your hardest to abide by them. It's not always as easy as it sounds, no. but uh, main one is keep to the side of the course as your number one objective when you're out there. And in my opinion, it's okay to communicate with other athletes. No need to get too abusive about it straight away. Yeah. But if somebody <laughs> straight away. if somebody is riding next to you and blatantly blocking and they might not have a clue what they're doing, giving them a little heads up that they they can't do that, I don't think it's a bad idea. Help newbies to the, with the rules. So if you've got newbies in your club, so if you're a coach or an athlete, make sure that they do actually know the rules because I think a lot of people don't know these rules. And start to think about your race a bit more strategically. So have that kilometres per hour or miles per hour easily viewable on your bike computer and know that when you're in a pace line, you don't always have to get to the front. Uh, and being in a pace line may well help you further down the track. For training, you need to start to factor in different scenarios into your training and ensure you've got versatility to actually change your power output. In the past, a lot of us have just gone out there and gone, right, I'm riding, my Ironman effort is 175 watts, so I'm going to go and do my, all my training at 175 watts. Now, you might have to start training a bit more like a pro and have the, the, the versatility to actually go a bit harder and knowing you'll have some harder and easier periods. And finally, give some feedback to organisers. Like if you did Ironman Texas last weekend and you haven't sent in a uh, some feedback around situations you saw, you should do because if enough people do it, they will start listening. Yeah, and, and just, just lastly on this, go into the intention of the race that you're not going to cheat. Mm. You know, it's interesting, um, there's a great book called Predictably Irrational, I think Dean Ariely wrote it a few years ago, and uh, they're talking about ethics in uh, different professions mm -hmm. and they're talking about um you know like all these professions like the law profession will have their code of ethics and so on and and they don't really work you know there's a lot of people who don't really yeah. necessarily not just pick on lawyers but just most of these ethics it's kind of just a pass note that doesn't really happen mm -hmm. but if you get people to read the ethics every day before they start work yeah. it has a massive influence on the way they behave in their in their career mm -hmm. so it's actually a really powerful tool and so it's just that kind of thing of before you the race remind yourself I want to race this race of integrity and I want to, as best I can, be able to race really smart. And just having that in your mindset because it's that whole thing of, you know, a, a few weeks ago I think I talked about How to Win, which is a great book. Mm -hmm. um, and he talked about, you know, it's really about developing character and that's what the sport is about. And so, you know, like the frustrating thing about Texas last week was the situation was created where it's kind of impossible not to be caught up in that, even mm -hmm. if you had good intentions. But to go into the race and go, you know what, I'm a, I'm a, Honest racer. It's like when I was a kid, I used to cheat all the time in games, you know, <laughs> yeah. like any game Monopoly, I, was, I always had money in my pocket that I'd stolen out beforehand. And, and as the more I've grown as a person, like I'd never cheat in a game nowadays because it's like, well, that's not the point of the game. You yeah. know, the point of the game is to do the best you can in the situation you're in. Um, and so just, you know, John's tips are really good. And lastly, just on top of that, have the intention of I'm going to be a fear racer who's good for the sport. And, you know, so 
I can honestly get to the finish line and go, you know what, I raced with integrity and did my best. Hopefully race organisers will start to stump up here. And as Bevan said, you know, when you get your race pack, have a one-page flyer in there or something on yeah. drafting yeah. Or, or some YouTube clips or something. But I think race organisers need to start taking this pretty seriously. Okay, John, we're going to talk about winger of the week. Winger of the week, you've pulled him up. Who are you going to talk the about? Longest activity over the weekend, over the last Melissa. week. Melissa. Melissa Uri, 10 hours and 2 minutes and 18. Second, Hassan Itani from, I think that's probably tried Dubai, 9 hours, 12 minutes. And Matt Robinson, 8 hours, 58, 31. Matt Robinson, if that was an Iron Man, well done. If that was a, a sub nine hour performance somewhere, I'm just pulling that up now. Uh, my flatmate, Melissa, she came and stayed at my house. She did, yeah. My yeah. flatmate, yeah. Oh, I'm not very good at finding my way around Strava. Anyway, no. Matt, if that was an Iron Man, well done. Yeah, well done, Matt. We're going to say it is. You smash it, mate. Yeah. Smash it, bro. Okay, John, uh, questions and answers. answers. Good old, Sh- I say, Shay. A question about a walk run method for marathon running. On one of the episodes, John mentioned he ran a marathon in 238. I always pull that off when I talk about walk run to people. Because <laughs> people don't want, don't believe it. Yeah. And I go, oh, I've got to make John. He did a 238 marathon. To walk. Really? Oh, my God. Um, while incorporating the walk run method, what kind of shape was he in during this period? Do you think he was able to run faster if he had ran consistently? That's a good question. I'll go over this fairly quickly because I think we've, we may have done this in the past. But it was, uh, it was way back in 2010. It was quite a while ago. So we've got some good value out of that that run that I did. Yeah. Uh, back then, I did not have GPS wa- uh, watch to actually help me through the run. Wow. So it was it was more. I was basically had a Average formula pace. there. I was running three k's, and I'm pretty sure I was walking um, 45 seconds. Three k on, 45 seconds off. Might have been just a touch less than 45 seconds. So I ran 2.38.30, which meant I had an average pace of 3.45, 3 minutes 45 per k. Um, And so I was aiming to be running uh, just under 3 minutes 40 per k. And then I was doing my walk. And so that was giving me like a 15 second sort of breather for the differential between my running and walking. Um, Per k. Uh, when, 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 three, I was, yeah. when I started my walk, I had sort of 15 seconds up my sleeve, and that worked really, really well for me. Could I have run any faster than that if I'd done? Yeah. Do you think you could have got like a 2:35? Not on the on the day. I don't think so. I think I'm capable of running faster than that. But you, you on that day, that was the best result you would have got either way. It, it would be very, very close, um, and it's hard to know definitively. But I would say it was, you know. Do you very, think it would have been harder if you ran the whole thing? That's the, that's the big unknown is, so would I have blown out earlier if I hadn't had those walk breaks? And that's what, what I don't know. But the, as far as the race went, um, I mean, I still hurt like inc- insanely in that last 10K. Okay, so, so it wasn't that it was easy in the last 10K? No, no. Because that's kind of one of the arguments people say of walk run is that, well, it's going to be easier in the last 10K. Yeah, so I had a I had fairly even pacing pacing throughout. So I'd say, don't think it would have made much difference. If I wanted to run a bit quicker than that, say 2.35 or around that mark, then it's getting quite a bit harder to actually do that because you've got to run at, at, at those sort of paces, you've got to be running yeah. really close to your anaerobic threshold. And uh, and so I think it's starting to anything, anything 2.35 or quicker. I, I'm not sure that for the running work would, would work for, for almost for anybody um, because you've got to run really, really quite quick. Did you, did you, what, what did you enjoy more? Did you enjoy the racing that way, or would you rather run just well, around? I haven't done loads of marathons, but I have brought this across to Ironman racing as well. So I did this in, in Rote as well, and it worked pretty well over there. Uh, so I would say for 
anybody who's three hours or over, I, th- I just think no it's an absolute, you, at least you've got to give it a crack and, and, and try it in training, like run a half marathon in training at straight and then do it at uh, with, a, with a run walk and try to figure out the, the formula for that. Um, the one thing that I've said, and I'll say that consistently, once your legs are blown, I think then you just run. So for me, the last 10Ks, I just ran it straight. I, I should walking. have run it straight. I kept walking, and that was the oh, one so area. Oh, so you did keep walking in the yeah, last 10K. That was the one area where I'm thinking, mm, there might have been sort of 30 seconds odd there that I that I was sort of giving up. Yeah. I had to show you, I was just mentioned about Bermuda, the race that we talked about a few weeks, weeks ago. Was it last week, maybe? Yes. Uh, Flora Duffy didn't just lead out of the water. She won. So she had the fastest swim, the fastest bike, and the fastest run separately. When was the last time something like this has happened? Well, we're pretty much saying it's never happened, didn't we? Yeah, so she was the first person to be first out of the swim, first off the bike, and first off the run. But as uh, Shay's pointing out, and I probably didn't point this out enough last week, she did have the fastest swim split fast spike split and yeah, she so still had just, the, it wasn't just leading it yeah, was and she had the fastest run split so the, wow. the people that were, were having an easier ride on the, on the bike still didn't make any inroads on the run mark the missile scudamore he's got here uh just have a question for john as a race director if you had an olympic or a sprint going on on the same day with wave starts that had olympic swimmers or uh who were doing two laps of the swim course going off before the sprint swimmers who were only doing one lap why would you start the olympic swimmers first when the slow Olympic swimmers would be getting run over by the fastest sprint swimmers when they start. It seems to me that you want to start, get the sprint swimmers going to be out done fastest, done out of the water to help spread the field and decrease congestion in the rest of the courses. I've contemplated an Olympic triathlon in here in New Mexico three times now, and I've got run over, oh, sorry, competed in an Olympic triathlon here in New Mexico three times now, and I've gotten run over by sprint swimmers every time, just as I'm completing the first lap of the swim. The race director doesn't see a problem when I talk to her about it. So obviously he needs an argument here to prove his race director wrong. <laughs> and I'm not going to be too much help here, um, I'm afraid, Mark, because so many different things going on when you're running events that have different distances uh, on the same course it's not quite as obvious as, as it always seems so in theory I think your um, suggestion that sprint athletes go first and get it, get uh, get it, get them out of the way is good in doesn't theory always, it doesn't always work that way and, and so I'll give you an example of a course that I organized down here in Christchurch is so I've got an Olympic distance race uh, and uh, it's a slightly shorter than a sprint distance race running at roughly the same time. What I do in that case is very similar to the um, issue you've got there in New Mexico is I start the Olympic first and I actually start the short course race 25 minutes later and so they kind of tuck in behind the athletes. So picture, picture a race here, you've got a swim, it's three laps of 500 metres, your bike course is an out and back so for Olympic athletes, they're going 20Ks out and 20Ks back. Short course, in this particular race, they go 7 or 8Ks out and 7Ks back. And so it's the swim and the bike that are the issues, not so much the run. So I slot the sprint triathletes in 25 minutes behind the Olympic athletes. And by that, when, they, when I do that, the, t- they, the, the sprint athletes catch just one or two of the Olympic athletes in the swim, and then they're kind of tucked in behind them on the bike, but then they turn earlier, so they actually go from being behind the Olympic athletes on the bike to actually turning and then being in front of them. So there's, there's lots of different things going on in terms of your course design, so have a chat to the race director if she doesn't see a problem with it, but 
it's not always as obvious as it necessarily seems. So I'm not going to come down hard on your local race director in this occasion. She may, or she or he may also have other um, motivators. It depends who you want to be first over the line. Is the Olympic distance race the the pinnacle event for the day, and you want your first person across the line to be the winner of the Olympic race and to get all the accolades? And is the sprint race kind of a, a sideshow? That could be uh, an issue. Um, also thinking about time limits on the on the courses for traffic management so by having the sprint behind the olympic maybe then it reduces the amount of time that athletes are out on the bike course the reasons for doing that might be a dollars issue in terms of you know the longer you have traffic management out there the more dollars it's going to cost also councils will probably be happy the less time you have on the roads because it's more inconvenience for the uh for the the local residents and sometimes some race directors make errors because they're constantly thinking about swim safe safety at the expense of bike safety. So, you know, there's so much going on there and the race director is never going to please everybody when you've got lots of different events on. So maybe just have a bit more of a think about it and try to understand your race director's rationale, not just thinking about the swim, but thinking about the implications on the bike and the run further around the course. It can be frustrating, but... Oh yeah, it's it's a no-win situation because, like, for me, when I um, did Queenstown this year, last did the half marathon, mm. and they had all the walkers in the last kind of three k of the race, mm. did my head in. Oh, absolutely. You know, and and nothing against the walkers, no. got on them throughout there doing it, but Queenstown's a narrow terrain course mm. in the last part of the run, and I, and I mentally prepared myself. Like I said, for the last four k, raced a really smart race, mm. and I. I was still happy with my race, but I probably could have gone a minute faster if I just could have put all my mental energy into pushing hard instead of yelling out to people, please keep left. Mm. You know, like literally all my energy went into yelling out to people, keep left. So in those instances, in that specific example that you gave, I would say that's a case of the race organiser just being plainly greedy. Um, in a lot of these instances for triathlons and stuff, you've got to get bums on it's seats. A, a, but John, it's owned by WTC. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, so it can't be <laughs> for, for a lot of triathlons and, like, and again all the ones that I organise locally you've got to try to get as many bums on seats not just to make some money but to actually make sure that it's it's a good event yeah. and, and you're covering all your costs and things like that there, there should come a point where if you're really impacting loads of people's performance like you had in Queenstown then it's just got to go how many how many is enough how many is enough people on the start line yeah, interesting stuff. Tim Ford's got an email. He says the Think Fit. I've actually been a guest on that show, and he's also doing a show with Pod Mecca now. And he's just saying Mecca's thinking about coming back as an age grouper, and he basically wants to know. He loves triathlon, and, and let's be honest, if you ever know, meet someone who loves triathlon, Mecca is someone who loves the sport. And he's just wondering if he came back as an age grouper, would this piss people off? Um, basically, he says that he hasn't done training for three years, and and to be honest, he's put on a little weight. Mecca, mm-hmm. sharpen up. Uh, and uh, he's only starting to get back into it. He cannot race pro because he thinks he'd get his butt whooped. Uh, he'd love to know what people think. So we were going to have this discussion of the week, but I think we've had it before. And there's no easy answer and there's no fair it's a, answer. It's a, it's a tough answer. Hmm. But I think that there needs to be an elite category. And some races do this around the world, an elite age grouper, wave, category, whatever it might be. And that would be the ideal place for the likes of Macca to, uh, to go and race or somebody. So who, what, what would be the definition of an elite category? Um, like, would you be elite? Uh, well, yeah, that, that it would it would appeal to me to actually go and do that and go head to head with 
different ages and go, I want to, and, and actually have a, a qualifying so a criteria. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't thought through how you how you would actually classify to get into that. But that would be one solution where you have an elite category and you can go and do Ironman races. Maybe there's no qualifying slots there for Kona. So if Mackie wanted to go and race Kona, then that's going to, that really is going to piss people off. Yeah, but... And, and I understand. Yeah, I know what you're going to say. Yeah, but... Well, yeah, but... Yeah, that, that's going to piss off a lot of people. And it's so hard to qualify for Kona now. If you do get pros coming and doing it, it's... But no, you, Max, not, Max is not a pro anymore. Yeah, no, I, I know. I know, I know. But the, and the thing is, he's just a high pedigree. And he'll say, well, shit, I haven't done anything for three years and I do need to lose a bit of weight and all the rest of You're it. You're really going on his weight. I haven't noticed his weight going on at all. No, he's giving me shit. Um, how would Mecca play the game? <laughs> how would Mecca? He's not put on weight. But um, the thing that I'm saying is that he, you know, he hasn't been an athlete for three years. He's mm-hmm. trying to put together a bloody triathlon organisation. He hasn't got a huge amount of time to train. Now the guy's got amazing pedigree. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, well, my my suggestion is there I, is I love your category. suggestion, but I don't think we can't say he can't do it. Well, he can do it. He's, he's absolutely allowed to do it. He might piss people off, and he will piss people off. And he's not alone. You know, how's it any different to Ken Glar? Ken Glar goes and wins races. Nothing. You yeah. know, and, and Scott Molina's gone and won races. There's loads of different examples. And I actually think it's better for our sport to have Mecca turning up doing races. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It, like, if Mecca turns up to Ironman New Zealand next year as an age grouper, people mm-hmm. are going to love it. Mm-hmm. You know, if Craig Alexander, when he stops racing and still doing well as an a pro, he turns up to races, and now all the people in his category are hoping to win the age group. <laughs> it's a killer of the moment. But there's 10 people, mm-hmm. you know? I actually think it's better for our sport to keep these legends in the sport and uh, at a cost to one or two people not maybe performing as high as possible. But then the other thing is, okay, let's say when you were trying to do Kona at your peak, if you were a racing Mecca, who you're probably going to concede that you're probably not going to beat, mm-hmm. how cool is that? It is cool, but if Kona's the, the ultimate... Oh, my God, he's getting phone calls. But, but he has got it on silent. Oh, mate, I'm not like you. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think, uh, yeah, I, I totally understand both both sides of the coin. Females, this is an even bigger issue, though, because in males, you know, if you get one rock star turning up in the 40 to 44 age group, yeah, it's going to take a slot away, but there's going to be you know, maybe five slots there. But for females, a lot of the age groups is one slot, and you get an ex-pro in your age group that turns up every yeah, year, true. you're like... Oh, well, this is it's an impossible task. But then the other thing is, Mecca turns up to your race, you beat him. How cool is that? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, now, again, Mecca's going to turn up to race, even though, if, like, if he turned up tomorrow and did a race, he's probably going to win most of those groups because um, just his pedigree. But, you know, like, it does, it gives prestige. To me, I, I, I see both sides of the story, but I actually think it's a better thing that, that he turns up. Like, Melina, I remember Melina lost the World Age Group Championship because of a bad transition. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And... Now, the guy who beat Molina at the World Age Group, how cool is it that he beat Molina? Hmm. You know, and this guy would have been someone who's probably followed Molina for a long time, and, you know, to beat Molina would have been a, a, kind of a significant moment in their career. Now, yeah, so I, I, it's a tough what one. What Bevan's saying is if you're not fast enough, you just need to hurry up and speed up and, and make sure you beat them. Well, that's, that's the game. It's, yeah. You know, like, yeah. you know. But well, it could be really interesting to see what Mecca would be if a guy who's going to do eight hours a week. Mm. You know, like, but I think, yeah, I think it's actually overall, it's better for the sport to have him there than not. But you take Macca out of the equation because we're all focused on Macca. But let's say it was a third tier, fourth tier pro who's, you know, like I was a bloody sixth tier pro, and that was 20 bloody years ago or so. I saw the photo. <laughs> um, so where do you actually draw the lines if somebody's had two seasons I don't think of you racing do. pro? I just think, hey, that's the deal. Yeah. 
You know, like I, I get why people would be frustrated because you kind of think it's an unfair advantage. But the unfair advantage is I just train more than you. Mm-hmm. You know, and if you want to be a, you know, and there's a lot of age groups out there that are basically pros. So yeah. yeah, yeah, totally. So it's, it's, it's not a level playing field. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's not a level playing field, and that's just the game. And and um, so Mecca, come to City of Sky Drive. Yeah. <laughs> uh, John, let's talk about some patrons. Uh, Michael built to last Collins. Uh, we got uh, Christopher Little J Swan and Ben Popeye Moore. But we've got a new patron, John. We have. So I've, I think I've come up with a name. You can okay. tell me if okay. it sucks or not. It's, okay. it's a bit out there. Yep. So let's see if I can get the pronunciation right because he's Steve. Now he said his surname is pronounced like tendonitis. So Donitus. De- so Steve Donitus. 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 I think we'll go with. He's going to deny this. Yep, loves the show. He went off and that did could be the name. <laughs> but anyway, sorry. <laughs> denies this, denied us. Uh, he went off and did wildflower at the weekend. I nice. Checked, checked out his result. He was uh, he was aiming to go sub five for the long course. Unfortunately, didn't quite do that. He's a, a lacrosse player. Wow. Um, a former lacrosse what player. Get you in into college? lacrosse in college. It'd just be a college uh, sport. sport. Okay. Yeah. Uh, continued drinking and smoking his lifestyle nice. until weight and lifestyle became an issue. Yep. No longer could pick up chicks. Yeah. Did his first try in 2012 on a mountain bike and never looked back he's the president of the Santa Cruz Triathlon Association oh cool um, and they operate the Santa Cruz Triathlon Olympic distance triathlon going into its 36th year support your local races couldn't agree with you more Steve so if you're in the California area check out the Santa Cruz Triathlon not and most half Ironman athletes do not do enough racing. So if you've got an Olympic or a sprint that's in your neck of the woods, go and support it. It's a fantastic, good, hard training day. As much as actually just going and doing a race and getting competitive, practice all your little things. So go and support the Santa Cruz Triathlon. When I was a kid, there was a, there was a video game called Santa Cruz. I think it was and, and it's a brand of uh, skateboard as well. Yeah, maybe that's what it was based on. Okay, mm. yeah, keep going. So um, when I was thinking of Steve, uh, he was going off to do wildflower. So I was yeah. thinking maybe something sort of flowery. Yep. And then I thought daffodil. And daffodil, I thought daff- daffy kind of fits into his uh, his name a little bit there. So it's daffy. Daffy. Steve Daffy Donitus. Daffy, Okay. Good. <laughs> he's not happy with. Well, it. it's not that. It's not that kind of. Daffy sounds a bit like. Um, at Daffy Duck. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Daffy Duck, and Daffy Duck's not the most. You know, you don't aspire to be Daffy Duck, do you? You don't. No. Okay. We'll see what the darts. Uh, the darts. What about don't do it, Donitus? Daffy, Daffy, Daffy. Donitus. Hold on. Let's see what your 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 world darts name would be. Okay. The Storm. Oh, that's that is pretty good. There you go. Here that is pretty good. Okay. Overall, the Storm. Okay. If you really want Daffy, let us know. I'm just looking at Daffy Ducks. I'm not crazy. No, I'm just looking at Daffy 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 Ducks sayings, but then that's the problem. Really good here. Okay, so we're going the storm. the storm. That's actually a pretty good, job. Steve, the Storm. Yeah. Yeah, there we go. There we go. Okay, so if you want to become a patron of the show, go to www.iamtalk.me. Thomas, just go there and <laughs> donate to your dad's <laughs> yeah. uh, And you become a patron. You get a gift depending on your giving level. And you also go into draw to win a free trip to Kona. Posting Steve as his I Am Talk swim cap uh, tomorrow. Good. Or tonight, it's in the envelope. I packaged it up this morning. Good time. If anybody knows a really good place to get good quality you swim need caps, to- I need to get a, do another batch of good quality silicon what happened to the old place priced um long story 
long story. <laughs> and they'll, they'll come out of China, I'm sure, but I just want, uh, I just need a new source because I've, I've tried the, one, the ones you got were great. Yeah, oh, they're really, really good. And that's the thing. I've been on to Alibaba and stuff and got different samples sent. Like, These are shit. I'm not sending them out. Yeah. Uh, I want to get a good quality, decent thickness, silicon swim cap. When you get something logo. on Alibaba and do a sample, do they charge it? Yes. Oh, do they? Yeah. And then you kind of go, okay, commit or not. Yeah. Okay. Um, John Sponsor. Extreme your endurance. Leg buffer, keep you healthy with your immune boost. And our patrons. And there are some people like good old The Storm, Steve. Tendonitis? Denitis. Denitis. The Storm Donitis. The Storm. Okay, he's going to blow you away. If you want to email <laughs> I Am Talk, you just go IamTalkPodcast at gmail.com. John, your gossip. I'm, I'm just getting back into a bit of training, quite enjoying it. Pumped out 105Ks on the bike on Sunday morning. Creepers, creepers. So How'd that, that go? Good. Uh, it was good. It was all out there by my solo stuff. It's pretty dark in the mornings, bloody hell. Yeah. When's, when's the shortest day? Can't that's be far away. That's in, I was thinking that myself, but it's not till mid 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 late June. Mm. Uh, also, Giro d'Italia has started. Oh, you actually watched some of it. Yeah, if you want to see some good bike racing, watch the Giro coming Why up. Why is it the best one? Well, people say it's the best tour because it's not quite as predictable as the Tour, tour de France, and you have a bit more. Of, you know, there's just a bit more going on. You know, Tour de France typically is motoring along. Team Sky, or t- some teams just motor along and you get to the final climb and it's all down off the final climb. There's often a lot more action before that final climb in the Giro. Why? And there's what what just, do they do to make more action? The, the strength of the field is extremely strong, but it's not quite, it's not the, It's not like Tour de France. You haven't got every single best guy in the world. Okay. So you've got less good guys and the teams probably just are just a tickle, not quite as, not, not quite as strong. So that all creates just a bit more volatility and um, the hills are quite often steeper than Tour de France and, and quite often a bit more severe. They do some crazy things sometimes going up dirt roads and stuff like that. So yep. it's, um, it's going to be good times and we've got a Kiwi who's got a reasonable chance of being you know, fairly well up there this year. So I'm looking forward to watching Who's that. Who's our boy? Bauer. Uh, not Jack, no, not Jack Bauer. Um, bloody hell, um, George Bennett. Okay, and we've got several other Kiwi, Kiwis in there as well. Good times. Is that about the extent of your life right now? Uh, it will be once it, once it really starts to kick off. They started off in Israel. First three stages were in Israel, and uh, and they're back to Italy tomorrow. Did you watch the Commonwealth Games road race? Talk about New Zealand oh, ballsing yeah, yeah. that one up. <laughs> yeah, we're so so <laughs> so in the road the kind race. Of carnage that you get in this race there. That was, that was all. There was, was no. Real strong lead out, and it was it was a bit of a debacle. Well, basically, the nine riders, five of the five of the Kiwis, yeah, no, we, we didn't get one medal. Yeah, that was a shocker, Joe Cocker. Yeah, that was a shocker, shocker. Any other goss? What's about this week? What about this week? Um, no, nothing too. Why did you ride 105k bike by yourself? Because I've got to ride 185 to 190 k's in Kona in about two and a half weeks, and I'm going. That's going to be quite a big effort, <laughs> I need to get and on I bike. need to get on that bike and, and not. Uh, a, I want to enjoy it, and uh, I'll be needing to do You're a bit reputation of reputation to maintain, mate. Exactly. So Kona is, is counting down quite quickly. So looking forward to that. <laughs> Good times. Other than that, uh, okay. What, what, what about the Warriors? Did you watch the Warriors? I did watch the Warriors at the weekend. Film. Yep. Yep, and the kids had a running race at the weekend. Oh, so how'd they go? Saturday is like, boom, 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 boom. We're like going swimming, we're going cycling. We're going to the top. Uh, they did all right, they did all right. What was that for like Athletics Club? Yep. Huh. It's all go. Nice. It's all go. Bevan, what's happening in your world? Big big spending, Bevan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> um, what's happening um, in my world? 
John went to Tikapo for the weekend. Mm-hmm. I was actually, we don't spend much time in Tikapo, but it's a lovely place, place, isn't it? And I didn't realise there was that running track. So normally when I go to Tikapo, I always think, oh, there's not many places to run. You've got to run up to Mount John, mm-hmm. or you can do the loop. Great or, mountain, that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. What, about 100 feet high? Yeah. Um, but then you go to, but then I found another track to the right of Tikapo. Have you seen that one? for our international audience. Yeah, uh, but have you been on that one? No. It's like a mountain bike track. It's beautiful. Oh, yeah, no, I, know what you mean. I know what you mean. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So we went running there and that was good. Played lots of cards. Great. Have you played Arsehole? Yep. Love Arsehole as a game. Yep. So much fun. Nice. Yep. So played that. And then on Saturday night, we actually took a disco ball. Mm-hmm. And because uh, it was basically uh, Marky Mark and Bex and Jeff and Kate. They came along with us, and we just, just, just three because they've all got kids. They got lots mm-hmm. of. They, my friends just breed, John. Mm-hmm. They just breed, and John, John, and I, we're the non-breeders of this world, yeah. and so they need a time away from their kids. So let's get a weekend away, so you guys don't have your kids. So we took a disco ball Saturday mm-hmm. night, rocking up the dance floor, nice dance floor in our, in our unit. Yeah. So that was pretty cool. And then came home and I was tired, John. Especially <laughs> so when you go. Oh, away. when you turn forty, it is all over, over. What's the best thing about turning 40 for you? Oh, I don't know. What's the best thing about your 40s? <laughs> oh, let's not go there. <laughs> Keep <back it> up. <laughs> let's not go there at all. His son could be listening. Yeah. Uh, and then there's about the extent of it. And then I'm home for about six weeks, John, which is quite nice. Good times. Which doesn't happen often in my life. So I'm actually quite excited about being home. So that's pretty much the show, John. Any other goss? I'm Russ. I mean, don't. Train hard. Train smart. Kick her.